0: Good evening. Um, With the makeup of this audience, uh, it's great to be here tonight, but with the makeup of this audience, I feel like I need to have someone help me pass out the syllabus, so I'm not sure. Um, (laughs) No, it's it's wonderful to be here tonight, and um, just wanted to uh, uh, thank you for having me tonight. And uh, tonight, I want to speak about something that, to me, is a fundamental principle of Scripture. It's one of the most fundamental techniques of the Christian life. And it's something that I feel every Christian must know. Uh, most Christians, uh, I, I've found, uh, we don't really talk about this too much. Tonight, Or th- tonight we've had some wonderful hymns with regard to our uh, being saved and the sacrifice that Jesus made for us that allowed us to have the privilege of having a relationship with Him. But we don't often talk about how we maintain that relationship with Him afterwards. And if you know anything about relationships... Maintaining relationships takes effort, doesn't it? It's sometimes a lot easier to get into a relationship than it is to maintain that relationship. And so what I want to talk about tonight is something that's uh, fundamental again to the Christian life and it's how we maintain our relationship with God once we have that relationship by faith in Christ. So turn with me if you have your Bibles to the the letter of 1 John. The letter of 1 John. And many of you know this about me, but uh, I'm always uh, wanting to put things in context, so we're going to look at the letter of 1 John and put it in context as we uh, look at it this evening. We're going to be looking specifically at chapter 1, so I want to read through the entire chapter with you tonight. And then we'll come back and look at what we can take from this important chapter in this letter. So beginning in verse 1 of chapter 1 of the letter of 1 John. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. This is the message that we have heard from Him and announced to you, that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word Is not in us. Now let's look at this letter, but but first let's look at the context of the letter of 1 John and the uh, authorship here. This letter was probably written, uh, was addressed to Gentile believers probably living in Asia Minor, uh, Asia Minor being present day Turkey, of course. uh, And Asia Minor had been the subject of all three of the Apostle Paul's missionary journeys. And many churches had been established there among the Gentiles. Paul had established these churches. Now, there are three primary areas of concern that are addressed in this letter. And, of course, we'll see them in other letters as well. And some related questions. So I want to give you those three concerns as we begin. So you'll kind of see the context for what we'll say tonight. Now, evidently, these issues were being raised by false teachers. We see in 1 John chapter 2... But there were some false teachers that were creeping in among these uh, believers and causing them to have doubts. And so the Apostle John is going to deal with those issues. And one of the uh, uh, concerns in the uh, letter of 1 John is the nature of sin. And some related questions to this. First of all, is it possible for believers to sin? Once you've been saved, can you sin? Secondly, how should believers respond to brothers or sisters who sin? And then, how does, how does sin affect the believer's relationship with God? That's one area that's uh, of concern in this letter. A second area of concern is the nature of the Incarnation. The Incarnation, of course, is the fact that Jesus became man and dwelt among men. So, two concerns with, that, with regard to that issue. Did Jesus really become man, or did he just appear to be a man? And secondly, is it necessary to believe that Jesus really died on the cross, And the third area of concern in the letter of 1 John is the nature of the security of the believer. How do we know that we're really children of God? And can a believer really know that he or she is saved? Can you know that? Therefore, the letter that was written to these believers was written to meet their real needs that they had in their particular context. They didn't have the Jewish tradition, and maybe that's good and maybe that's bad, uh, but they most likely had pagan backgrounds. And since no elders are specifically mentioned here, their churches may have, had, may have been at an early stage of development. In other words, they needed guidance. They needed the apostle to come back and the leadership of the church to come back and give them some direct guidance. Now, the author is not named in this letter, but claims to have been an eyewitness from the beginning. We'll see how important that is in the first part of this chapter. So he claimed to have been an eyewitness from the beginning of Christ and someone who spoke with authority. That's also important. These characteristics have led uh, to the belief that the letter was written by the Apostle John, supported by the fact that John was also thought to have spent his late years residing in Ephesus, which is a town in Asia Minor, of course, where the Apostle Paul also lived for three years and established a church. Now, the Apostle John was the son of Zebedee, who, along with his brother James and Peter, were very close to Jesus and were present at the Transfiguration, ...in Matthew 17... ...and the agony of the Lord... ...the Garden of Gethsemane... ...in Matthew chapter 26. So the Apostle John... ...was also the author of course... ...of the Gospel of John... ...and so we'll see... ...there's a lot of similarity... ...between the letters... ...1st, 2nd, and 3rd John... ...and the Gospel of John... ...I'll allude to some of that... ...as we go through... Uh, ...the passage today. So let's go back now... ...to 1st John chapter 1... ...having that context... ...this letter was written to... Uh, un- uh, ...to a pagan... ...former pagan believers people who didn't have a Jewish background, didn't have that tradition to fall back on, and was very much in in keeping with, uh, or in need of, I should say, guidance, this church, from the apostle John and the other leadership of the church. So we're going to see see in the first chapter, in the first few verses, that John really emphasizes his authority. He really emphasizes, leans hard on that authority, because he wants these folks to know that he has the authority to tell them what he's going to tell them. So let's look now at verse 1 of chapter 1, when John says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, and what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And one thing we might want to say is, what is the beginning here? What do we mean by the beginning in verse 1? Now the use of beginning in John, the gospel of John, is very important. You all know this passage, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God." John 1, one, and in that uh, passage, the word beginning, the Greek word arche, means beginning, right? It means when there wasn't anything else, before there was, a, you know, when, when there was the beginning of all that we see today, the origin of everything we see today. So in John 1.1, 1, 1, beginning most likely means the origin of all things. And in John 1.3, indeed, it says, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So clearly it means uh, the beginning of or the origin of things. Now in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, Jesus was with God from the beginning, meaning he is eternal. That means he is, of course, God. It gets back to one of those concerns I mentioned about this letter. Was Jesus really uh, God? And John is referring to the time also, I think, here... He's referring to the time during which he and the other disciples were with Jesus. In other words, during his earthly ministry. So from the beginning of his earthly ministry, or at the beginning of the time when he called the disciples to serve, these men were with him. That's important. They have credentials. They're trying to give these credentials to the folks they're, they're speaking to here. Now, John's credentials go on to say uh, that he had seen Jesus in verse 1 what we have seen with our eyes, what we looked at and touched with our hands. Now, the the Greek word for seeing with our own eyes here is just a normal word, uh, one of the normal words for seeing something. But then when he goes on to say we have looked at, the word is a more intensive word that actually means to examine something pretty carefully. And when you're with someone in a very close ministry like we see the apostles, uh, the disciples and the apostles with Jesus... They had a chance to examine him pretty carefully. They were with him. They, saw, they were with him every day. They saw him do all the things he did. So they have credentials here. They were witnesses to his ministry. They carefully observed him during his ministry. And they touched him with their hands in verse 1. The verb that, that's used here means to feel or handle, but it indicates the closeness of their relationship. These guys had a close relationship with Jesus, and the Apostle John wants people to know this. He wants these folks in uh, this church that he's writing to, or the churches he's writing to, to know this. Now, he continues on here in verse 1. What we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Now, who was the word of life, or what was the word of life? Well, let's look at the Gospel of John for a little help, I think, with regard to this. In the the first chapter of John, verse 4, it says, In him, that is, in Jesus Was life and the life was the light of men. And this passage clearly links the Word, which we saw in verse 1 of chapter 1 of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. It links that with light and life. These are titles that refer to Jesus. So therefore, I believe the passage is saying here the Word of life is a title for our Lord. And we again, this is something I think will be borne out as we continue through this. And the life in verse two, if we continue now, the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. The word here that manifested, to make clear, to reveal, to reveal, is used uh, a lot in the Gospel and in the letters of First, uh, First, Second, and Third John. The word is used nine times in the gospel, and in 1 John nine times, and it's another indication that the gospel was authored by the same person, or 1 John, I should say, was authored by the same person as the gospel. The word was used in the gospel of John to verify that Jesus was Messiah. One of the big issues, and it still continues this day, was Jesus truly God? Was he truly Messiah? Was he the one that the Jews were looking to to come back and restore Israel and take the throne again of David, the greater son of David. Was he Messiah? And in, in the uh, Gospel of John, it's often used to demonstrate that Jesus was Messiah. First of all, in John chapter 1, verse 31, uh, you may not be able to turn to all these passages, Just you can just listen here. John the Baptist says, I did not recognize him, speaking of Jesus, but so that he, Jesus, might be manifested to Israel I came baptizing in water. In John chapter 2, verse 11, this beginning of his signs, Jesus' signs, the miracle of the wedding feast at Cana, Jesus did in in Cana of Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. In other passages also, we see the same thing. In John uh, 21, verses 1 and 14, After these things, Jesus manifested himself to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. And this is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So, what I'm saying here is this word means that it's related to the fact that Jesus is being revealed as Messiah. He is the Messiah. So, John is making it very clear that Jesus is Messiah, he is God. We And the, the disciples, the apostles, have lived with him, they've seen him, they've touched him, they've, they know him, and they've been eyewitnesses to his life. Continuing in verse 2, we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. The word that's used for seen and testified, the word to testify here, is a word that means uh, to, to witness to something, to testify to something. It's martyreo, which is the word we get martyr from, because a martyr is an ultimate witness, right? A martyr is willing to die for their faith as a testimony to the fact that they believe. And so that's the ultimate test of your, of your, uh, of your witness. So the same word we get, for, uh, use, uh, we get the word martyr from, to witness to something. And again, the eternal life here, I believe, is another title for Jesus. The eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So I think it's pretty clear, again, that this is another title for for Jesus. This passage also indicates that Jesus was indeed God. One of the issues that I talked about in the beginning that was being addressed in this letter. In verse 3, what we have seen and we we, uh, proclaim to you also, what we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Now, the apostle is again affirming his authority. These guys were eyewitnesses they had the authority to tell these believers what they should do, to give them guidance. You know, it's very important in the church that you have uh, an understanding of, of the fact that God has given certain men gifting for uh, the, uh, the, the use of that gifting in authoritative purposes. Elders, for example, in churches are given authority by virtue of the word of God, by God, to exercise authority. Now, that doesn't mean they're tyrants, <laughs> But it means they give authoritative guidance. And that's clearly what the Apostle John is saying here. He has the ability. The Apostle Paul says this kind of thing all the time. I have the authority to tell you these things. That's why I'm doing it. So he affirms his authority as an, as an apostle, as an eyewitness. And the real purpose of what he's saying comes out then in verse 3. The purpose is so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son... Jesus Christ. Now, John, the apostle, desires that these believers, and by, by virtue of uh, pulling it to a contemporary uh, position today, that we as believers share in the fellowship that he and the other apostles had with, with God. He wants us to also share in that same fellowship. The fellowship that he and the other leaders have with the Father and the Son, we are to also share. But what does fellowship mean? What does fellowship mean? To a lot of people, that means food, right? Getting together socially can mean a lot of things. But the Greek word, as you probably know, is koinonia, and the word denotes sharing. It denotes sharing. And uh, also communion or fellowship. And all of these things indicate one thing, and that's a close relationship. When you have a sharing, when you have koinonia, you have a close relationship. The disciples shared a close relationship with Jesus. And John's desire was that these believers also shared a close relationship with him. And now he wants to explain how believers can have that close relationship and why some don't. Why some believers don't have that close relationship. Or why any believer may not have that close relationship. Now in verse 4... He also continues here, these things we write so that our joy may be made complete, and he gives his purpose for writing this letter. And uh, to make complete, of course, means to fulfill, uh, but but the way it's uh, put here grammatically is that this joy may be, uh, it's potential, it's possible, but it may not be realized. In other words, he wants us to share that fellowship with Jesus, with the Father, with the Son, and that his joy may be made complete. But that's potential, okay? Uh, it may not be made complete if people don't follow what he is telling them here. Now, continuing on in verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And here is where we really get into the really important area of how do you maintain that close relationship with God that the Apostle John has described, that he has, the other disciples have, with Jesus, How do we maintain that close relationship with God? Again, he starts off by saying, this is a message we've heard from him and announced to you. This is eyewitness testimony again. And the verb here is in the perfect tense, which means it's something that happens in the past, but it has results that keep on going. So it's as though the apostles are saying, Jesus told us these things, and we still hear the echo of this in our heads. He still is speaking to us, telling us about this, that we need to proclaim this to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Now, darkness in Scripture, as you're probably aware, can be used either figuratively or uh, literally. Darkness and light are often contrasted in Scripture with darkness meaning sin, light meaning righteousness or holiness. And we've also seen Jesus called the light in the Gospel of John. In John 1, 4, it says, "...in him was the life, and the life was the light of men." So we see that image reused of Jesus himself. Now, he goes on in verse 6 to say, If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. That's a pretty harsh statement, isn't it? Pretty harsh statement. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Believers can't claim to have fellowship. That is a close relationship with God and have sin in their lives. That's just reality. That's what Jesus uh, told the disciples as well. But here, the apostle John is saying this. And the way that's constructed in the Greek here, it's a conditional statement which indicates possibility, but but there's uncertainty here. Let Let me try to read this in that way. If we say that we have fellowship with him, maybe we're saying that, maybe we're not. But if we say that and we walk in darkness, we're lying and we don't practice the truth. And there are going to be a series of conditional statements just like that through the last part of this chapter. This means that believers may sin and that sin affects their relationship with God. When we believe in Jesus, as we sung so uh, well tonight, when we believe in Jesus, Ephesians chapter 2 says we're seated at, uh, in the heavenly places with Christ. So you're taken from being uh, someone dead in sin, trespasses in sin, as it says in Ephesians 2.1, and you are set in the heavenly places with Christ. And that is huge, isn't it? That is a huge, something we can't even fathom. Now, I've often talked about this in terms of our uh, position in Christ. In other words, we are positionally at the right hand of the Father. We don't always act like that, do we? We don't always act like we're seated at the right hand of the Father. The position of favor in the ancient world was at the right hand of someone, at the right hand of the king. That was a position of favor. So if we're seated there positionally, We need to act like we're there in reality. And that's what John is talking about here. You live up to your position. You live up to your position. He's going to be talking about how we do that here in this passage. So we can sin and that affects our relationship with God. Because apparently some were claiming that they had fellowship with God when there was manifestly sin in their lives. And John is saying, no, you can't do that. That's wrong. That's lying. That's not true. And the image of walking here is used to indicate that believers uh, or someone here is sinning as a pattern. And a pattern of sin is a real problem. It's something that uh, none of us want to be involved with. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sins. In in verse 7, I believe that this means, to walk in the light, means to live up to our position in Christ. Here we have the position in Christ at the right hand of the Father, and here's our daily walk. And if we we do it right, we're going to be living up to our position. That's our objective, is to live up to our position, to, to live our lives in a way that pleases God, and to live up to our position in Christ. Jesus is a holy God who demands holiness from believers, from us. He demands holiness. And once again, this is one of those conditional statements. The believer may walk in the light, he may, he may not. So again, we read this with that, uh, with that understanding. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, maybe we will, maybe we won't. But if we do, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sins. Now the, the believer, if the believer does not walk in the light, that is, he doesn't uh, maintain, or excuse me, if the believer does walk in the light, that means you are living according to your position, you maintain the holiness that God requires, then you have a close relationship with God. And the blood of Jesus refers to the sacrificial work of Christ on the cross. That's what the blood of Christ. And we sang about the power of the cross tonight. It's exactly what that's talking about. The blood of Christ is the power of the cross. Now, if we say we have no sin in verse 8, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Again, this is one of those conditional statements indicating that these believers may, have, may say that they have no sin. They may not. If we say we have no sin, maybe we will, maybe we won't. But if we do, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is is not in us. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. Uh, our daughter uh, was a student at Mizzou, and Mizzou has uh, what's called a free speech circle you know, by the law school. Maybe some of you are familiar with that. And uh, there are a lot of uh, times she would say that these Christian kids would come down and they'd be standing in the free speech circle and they'd be saying, Well, if you're a Christian, you, you, you don't sin anymore, you're done with sin. And uh, to my amazement, uh, many of the students were standing around with their Bible saying, no, that's not right. That's not what the Bible says. And they were, they were debating with these students in the free speech circle. And so there may be still people around that believe that if you're a Christian, you don't sin anymore, which is a little bit ridiculous because that's not what the Bible says. And that's exactly what John is saying here. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. And I think this is also related to the deceivers in chapter 2... ...that are saying, you know, you can be a Christian, you can sin... Uh, ...I mean, you, you won't sin anymore, you, you, you know, that's gone from your life... ...you're not going to be a sinner any, ever again. And that is just flat not true. So the apostle indicates this is false and uh, makes that pretty clear. Now verse 9 is, is a key text, I think, in this whole chapter. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and r- righteous to forgive us our sins... And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The apostle now explains how believers can have true fellowship with God. In order to walk in the light, the believer must confess known sins. Now that's why I say this is a fundamental truth of scripture that every Christian must know. How do you live with a holy and righteous God? Let me suggest to you uh, that the parallel is the Old Testament, the Old Testament law. The law was not a means of salvation, never was, never intended to be. The law was how you live was given to show how you live with a holy and righteous God. And about 95% of the law was what you do when you break it. <laughs> so it certainly wasn't a way of salvation. And people were saved prior to the giving of the law. That's what Galatians tells us. So we know that's, you know, not the purpose of the law. So what I'm saying here is that what, G- what John is telling us here is the way we maintain our relationship with a holy and righteous God, just as the Jews in the Old Testament maintained their relationship with a righteous and holy God by keeping the law. But it wasn't a means of salvation. There's a clear parallel between these two things. And how do we do it? We confess known sin. When it happens, and we move on from that. That's how we maintain that, that relationship with God. The word that's used for confess here is to acknowledge, to name or acknowledge it. You acknowledge the fact that you're wrong. God, I was wrong. That was a sin. And you know when you commit a sin. You know when you've done that. All of us do. And it's our responsibility when we sin, confess that sin, and we move on. Now, that doesn't mean it's just some, you know, cavalier way of doing this. It means you feel, uh, of course, uh, remorse for this. You don't want to do it again. But it's what we do to maintain that relationship with God. once a believer confesses before God God forgives and cleanses the believer of those sins and the believer then lives up to his or her position in Christ that's the point you maintain that relationship by confessing known sin and that's the kind of relationship that God wants from us David in Psalm 32 talks about this if, uh, if, if I regard iniquity in my heart the Lord won't hear me there are many passages in scripture that indicate the same thing is true in the Old Testament obviously because it's the same relationship Finally, verse 10: If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Again, the apostle warns these believers not to listen to those who would deceive them by thinking they can have a close relationship to God with unconfessed sin in their lives. If we truly know God's word, we understand we're still still sinners after we're saved, that doesn't change. But we have the way to deal with it because of the power of the cross, which we sang about tonight. Because of justification, we can confess our sins, and God forgives those sins, and we move on. We don't have to deal with the work. The work has already been done by Jesus. He did that for us. So that relationship is established. We have to maintain that relationship. So let me give you some application points, hopefully, that will refer uh, to this help you refer back to this. First of all, believers may still sin after they're saved. I mean, that's, that's what John is saying. Sinning without confession is walking in darkness. I think that's what the apostle says here. And it keeps the believer from having a close relationship with God, the kind of relationship he wants to have with us. Walking in darkness also means that we're not living up to our position in Christ. And if we have that position, we certainly want to live up to it. Because Jesus did the work. He paid the price so that we could have that position. So we need to live up to our position in Christ. When we do so, when we confess our known sins to God, again, we live up to our position in Christ. We have that relationship that he desires for us to have. And that's the place where we can be really truly of service to God. In order to maintain that close relationship that we should have, we must know the word of God. How do you know what sin is unless you know the word of God, right? So we we have to know the word of God, and then we have to discern, and we have to be willing to examine ourselves frequently during the course of any day to say, you know, what am I doing here? Uh, Have I done something wrong or not? And that discernment helps us to know when we commit sins. We should try to uh, to, to keep what I call short accounts on this. In other words, you don't let the ledger get really long. Oh, I'll confess these, you know, a week from now. No, you confess sin when you know you've committed the sin. You, you maintain that, that short account. You maintain that relationship with God through confession. So, so tonight, what I in, in conclusion here, what I'd like to say is, to me, this is a fundamental truth of Scripture. Every Christian should know this because how else do you know how to deal with uh, living with a holy God if you don't know this principle? And yet oftentimes, too often, I think, we don't really, we don't really uh, learn about this. Uh, some, some pastors I've known call this a technique. Maybe it is. But it's something that every Christian should understand. And I hope this is helpful to you. I hope it's valuable to you. And I hope that you can see um, how it makes a difference in your life so that you can maintain that close relationship with God. Let me just uh, pray with you as, as I conclude tonight. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for this wonderful principle and truth of Scripture. Help us to apply these things uh, even this week and lead lives that are pleasing to you and live up to, live up to our position in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.